Let me start with this thought, okay? Let me ask you a serious question here. What scares you? Do bugs scare you? Yes, no? Snakes scare you? Yeah? Okay. When we were on the missions trip, you heard it on Sunday night, these big, hairy spiders, they can make the biggest of these boys scream like a little girl. Okay? They, you know, some people get scared with the bugs. Do storms scare people? Lightning, thunder, things like that? Do, does walking to the mall or to the store make you a little bit more nervous in this day and age? I think there's moments that that happens. Okay? Um, there's lots of little things that scare us. Sometimes they're not so little, but they happen. Little things, can not, only, not only do they scare us, but little things can be really deadly. When you watch the news of late, it's kind of discouraging, isn't it? Of all the different little things in this world. Doesn't it read, the news read like the book of Revelation? All these different pestilences and diseases that are threatening. Now, we're talking about the Zika virus that's south of us. And that's into the central and into the South America. And then right on top of it, wasn't it last week? The super bacteria that's found in Rio de Janeiro's waters where they're going to have the Olympic competition. That it could be a bacteria that could cause spinal meningitis. And so they were warning the athletes. If I were an Olympic athlete, I'd rethink this one. Okay, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of danger going down there, physical danger. What's that? Some aren't going. Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah, you would think some are going to back out of it because of it. And then when you hear the news about something little, that is really scary. Okay? The little explosive devices that you don't know is somebody, JFK this morning. Did you hear about this little package that was left by the side that a dog sniffed it and they cleared out one of the terminals because they didn't know if there was a bomb there? We live in some, to some degree in a society that's going to become more and more paranoid of the little things. And we understand why. Okay? Those, those threats are there. We understand they are dangerous. Let me challenge you in a totally different vein. We're not talking about something that can take your life. But I'm going to talk about something that is threatening, scary, small, but deadly. And it's already in your life. In fact, it's in your mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. James chapter 3. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of what? Deadly poison, he says. And then he goes on, he says, that sometimes with our speech, we curse man and we bless God. We are like that fountain that at one moment it gives what? Sweet water. And then the next moment it gives the bitter water. And he concludes after he does that section, he says, out of the same mouth proceeds the blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be. And then he wraps that passage up and talking about you need the wisdom from the Lord in order to deal with it, not the wisdom from below. Paul picks up on that same thing, that same theme. When he's writing the book of Colossians, and he's writing it a couple decades later, he writes in Colossians chapter 4. He writes a section as he's winding down the book, and he talks about you and I and with our speech that we have to be very careful with it. Let me read the passage. Colossians chapter 4. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that the God would, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of, the God of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. 
Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with what? With grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. What he's basically saying here for you and I to think about is that this fact of life. You and I need to work on our speech. We need to work on improving our speech. I don't think any one of us can say that this is an area of our life that we've got total control. And maybe I'm assuming too much. Maybe I'm assuming that, that you haven't matured as much as you have. And I don't mean to be critical in that sense. But I think generally speaking, most all of us need to be giving attention to our speech most every single day. There are moments that no matter how much we've matured, how long we've been saved, there are moments that we may say things to our spouse, to our kids, to a co-worker. We may say them in a moment of frustration that we would regret, that we don't want to speak a certain way, and yet we battle with it. So you and I need to work on our speech, and there's certain areas that I think we need to think through. We need to think through what we say. We need to think through the way we say it. And we need to think through why we are saying certain things that we say. And all of it comes under that idea of improving in your speech. Now, with that in mind, let me just take two different directions here. I want to look at what Colossians is pointing out, the requirements for improving your speech, and then the reasons for it. They're both in this little short little paragraph. He gives us several requirements for improving our speech, and it's kind of very blunt. He says very simply that if you are going to improve your speech, here's what's required of you. Number one, you need to put off certain type of speech patterns. Go to the previous paragraph. Jump into chapter 3, and we're going to jump in the middle of it, where he's giving thoughts, and then he gives illustrations of it. Back all the way up to verse 8. He says, now you are to put off all these. And, And if you look at these words, they're not just emotions. These words are expressions with our mouth, most of them. What do we need to put off? He gives us... Excuse me. This grocery list of anger. I don't need to define that. You know what it is. He says in this list, wrath, the word literally means a sudden outburst. That sudden, you're flaring out with your lips with your, or with your fists. But that's, that, that outburst is the best one. Malice is making comments that are hurtful for somebody. It could be in front of them. It could be behind their back. It could be the idea of gossip. It could be just comments to cut somebody down so as to create hurt, so as to put them in their place according to what you think. And so he says, put that off. You all work on putting off these things. Blasphemy isn't just tearing down and using God's name in vain. Blasphemy can be, and we have passages that talk about blaspheming people, not just God. You can blaspheme, you can tear down, you can, you can put people low in the sight of others by blaspheming, by ripping them apart as well. Filthy communication. Filthy communication is cuss words. Filthy communication is dirty jokes. Filthy communication is inappropriate discussions. We, we talked about some of this when we were on our trip. We talked about the tongue. When we've been back, we've talked with, uh, talking about leadership. We had, a, we had a mentoring time yesterday with the preacher boys, the interns, and just sat down and said, okay, let's talk about leadership. When is it appropriate for leaders to use cuss words? When is it appropriate? Um, I talked with a missionary in the last month. A missionary who, during, during their time of, of deputation in the States, 
that uh, they were working with a church that was promising to help them and this church and the leadership of the church said that what we want to do is we want to get behind you. We, we are so involved with your ministry. And the pastor said, I'm going to arrange for housing for an extended period of a couple weeks. You stay here. We're going to mentor you. We're going to help you. We're going to really get behind you, you know, 150% because we just love missionaries. And uh, while they were there, they, they got to interact with the staff. They got to interact with the church people. And they got to do <coughs> several times of sitting down and talking with the leadership of the church. And in particular, the pastor of the church. And when they sat and talked, the young man who was there, uh, headed for the mission field, he thought, I'm going to take advantage of asking this elder statesman in Christian service. I'm going to ask the pastor, why does he do what he does? Seems fair, doesn't it, to ask sometimes, why do we do what we do? As he asked, the pastor became a little bit more, um, what word do I want to use? Defensive? Hostile? Because he took it as, as criticism. It wasn't meant to be criticism. It was, it was meant to be, I want to learn. Why do you handle this situation this way? Why do you handle this way? And in that period that followed, what happened is things deteriorated very, 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 very rapidly. Within a few days, the pastor wouldn't talk to the missionary anymore. Within a few days, there was the rift that was obvious between the guest missionary and others in the leadership of the church. And so the young man, thinking and wisely doing what Scripture says, he was going to go and talk to the pastor and say and ask the question, which is a legitimate question. Have I offended you? Did I do something? And if I did, what would you ask for? Yeah, I want forgiveness. In that conversation that he went and talked with the, with the elder statesman, the elder statesman got mad at him and said, you're an arrogant blankety-blank. And he used used profanity. And in the conversation, there were several cases of using profanity. I I tell you this from the depth of my heart. There is no reason, there is no place for any man of God to use profanity at any time. I think that man is disqualified from ministry because of his mouth. I'm convinced of that. In the depth of my heart, I am never, ever, ever allowed... To use profanity. Even if I'm angry. It's wrong. It's just filthy communication. It is wrong. And so this young man was just shocked. He went home discouraged after he was called names. Dirty names by the pastor. He went home to the house where he was staying. Just discouraged, distraught. Thinking I am a bum. Maybe I shouldn't even go to the mission field. This man. I don't understand why he got so angry with me. I I don't understand. Must be me. It must be me that I did something that caused him to slip and stumble so badly. And so he's at the house, kind of bemoaning and moping, that discouraged and defeated. And the host of the house came in, who happens to be an officer in the church. Came in and said, what's wrong? And the young man explained, here's what happened. You know, I really feel bad. And that officer exploded. And he said, our pastor is absolutely right. You are a blankety-blank. You are this, that, and the other thing. And everything that the pastor had told him that he saw as you know, things, it was exact verbatim, which made it very clear there had been discussions. Things had been talked about. Now, since that time, there has been email communication. And in the email communication, the cussing and cursing continues. 
it's wrong. If it's coming from a pastor's office, if it's coming from a deacon's mouth, it is wrong. We are not supposed to have filthy communication. We are not supposed to have these sudden outbursts. We are not supposed to be talking that way. We're supposed to be the light of the world, and that light of the world means I don't use dark speech. Right? Let me, let me continue on. He says, do not lie one to another. Look at the next verse as he continues. He says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man. Now, he's given us very specific put-offs. Okay, that's in chapter 3. The requirements continue. Because in their notes, we'll put it this way, what we need to put on. That's now pick it up, where he picks up with the speech once again, back in verse 6 of chapter 4. We need to put on grace. In our speech, we substitute. not the We get rid of the anger, the malice, the filthy speech, which, by the way, let, let me be frank. You and I sit here and say we shouldn't use filthy language. We are not saying that we are perfect and have never done that in our past. Some of us, and me in particular, I did talk that way at one time. That doesn't justify it. It's wrong. And for me, maybe not for you, some of it was so habitual that it was commonplace that words came out that shouldn't have come out. They became normal expressions. So I have to work at putting on. And that doesn't mean that even though it doesn't come out of my mouth, I'll I'll bear my heart for this second. Even though I don't use that language, in my shame, the words come to my mind. They're still there. And so I have to work on saying, put on gracious speech. That gracious speech in our conversation, he says, let your speech be always with grace. Now, what does that mean to be gracious in speech? What is that word that he's used? Well, the psalmist says it means this. It means God is blessing you abundantly. Grace is poured into your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you. I can only, and you and I can only have gracious speech because it's the power of Christ. It's God pouring it into our lives. That gracious speech, if we, if we want to define it, would be doing this. Speaking with kindness. Speaking with patience. Holding back words or comments or an attitude that maybe somebody doesn't deserve. Maybe that attitude is displayed when you are frustrated with the server at the table. And you deserve better treatment in your mind. You deserve better treatment because you're paying a lot for this meal. Gracious speech means, okay, uh, I can deal with it without malice, wrath, anger, or belittling. Gracious speech means I'm going to be patient with my kids. Now, maybe it hasn't happened to you, but it did with our four kids. Our four kids knew how to push our buttons. They could get us to just all really quickly, if we weren't careful, they could push a button and we could fly off and handle. Okay? And because our kids just knew I mean, your kids didn't do this, but our kids, didn't, they didn't listen all the time. They weren't always as quiet as I wanted them to be, especially when the Vikings were playing. They weren't, you know, they, they would do things that would irritate at times. They would get too loud. They would get too demanding. They would, you know, whatever. Patience. Kindness. It, it's something that probably will help us out is to look and answer this question. Who in Scripture revealed the most gracious speech? I can show you Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there for a second, there's a fabulous little insert. It's in, from the life of Christ. And it's just a little comment that's made about Jesus Christ. 
And it's a phenomenal statement that Luke is writing and he is going to tell how people view Jesus. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is speaking, giving a sermon at the village of Nazareth. As he speaks, he opens up scripture, he explains the passage. And when he's explaining it, now I want, I want to jump to the end of the sermon. When he gives the invitation, the people come forward not to respond and say, we want you as Savior. They come forward to grab Jesus and to take him where? Do you remember this account? It's his hometown. They're going to take him to the hill and throw him off the hill. That's not the invitation you and I would be really excited about. Okay. So he's talking to a crowd that is, if we could say it, this crowd is a hostile crowd. Okay, so if you're going to blast, this would be the group to blast, right? Watch what it says in description, what he's doing. He says, and began to say unto them, verse 21, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness. Did you catch this? All who were there, even the people who were hostile, all bear him witness and wondered at the what? The gracious words which did what? Yeah, so even as he told the truth, and even as he's telling the truth, which involves you need to repent, you need to get born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. He did it in what type of fashion? Gracious words. That even his enemies would say he did it graciously. That doesn't mean he watered down the truth. It means in his presentation, he was marked by grace. So if I'm going to have my speech that's filled with grace, it means I need to talk the way Jesus talked. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to our neighbors. I need to talk to the different people in the community the way Jesus talked. We found out something yesterday. That is unusual for, for our little area right here. We found out that our township, since 2001, has required permits for anybody to go door-to-door -door of any sort. Okay? That it's been on the books in this township. We didn't know about it until yesterday. It required immediately, when we got a little bit more details and Val was doing the checking, it required that I go down there and talk to the township manager and try to figure out how this is going to work. Because according to our township, if you want to go door to door and hand out any literature, do any kind of sales, but for us, if we want to do a VBS flyer, if we want to invite to the reenactment, if we want to have people come, if we want to give any literature, the ordinance also reads that if there's any public right-of-way that people are on, and if you approach them and give them literature, you could be fined. You realize that we have a public right-of-way walking through our parking lot. Okay. So even if we gave literature to somebody walking across our parking lot, we could be fined? My first reaction is probably your first reaction. Freedom of religion. You know, let's sue. Okay. Let's make a, let's make a, okay. So it requires calm down, go down and talk with the individual. And find out we need to come up with something that works and you don't infringe upon our rights. And so in the course of the conversation, things went well, um, you know, and we came up with some things and backing down well. Maybe we didn't think this through really as good as we should have. Amen. Absolutely. Exclamation point. Okay. I understand what you were trying to do, but there was a different, there was, for us, it, and I had one of the staff go with me for a reason, to make sure I don't say anything in a way that would be 
making the situation worse. Now, you wouldn't have that problem, okay? But me, I can get excited, excitable. <laughs> okay. So it's good for me to have somebody to be accountable to. Okay. So that's important to just make sure that we have those. We're going to talk. Uh, <laughs> here's what else we do. The next requirement. It says work at being salt-like. Okay, in our everyday speech. So you see where he says back in, in Colossians chapter 4. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Hey, now, let me ask you a question. Different words in different times and different cultures mean different things. Do they not? Okay. Gay 50 years ago means a whole lot different than what it did today. Cell phone meant a whole lot different, you know, 30 years ago than what it did today. Disc means a whole lot, whole lot. A lot of those things change, right? Okay, when we think salty speech, okay, what does that come? To, what comes to your mind when somebody says, "Hey, they've got salty speech," cussing? It's usually negative. Yes, no. Okay, and I when I think salty speech, I think of pirates. You know, that's kind of that whole idea. Now, back in Bible days, speech that was salty was just the opposite. When he's talking salty speech back in Bible days, he's not talking about, okay, make it something that's abrasive, like salt in your eyes, that it really, really creates a problem. That's not at all. When he's talking about salt and usually uses that metaphor frequently in the scriptures, you have to go back and say, okay, salt in Bible days was such a good thing that what would they do with it? Saleros was the word salt. What word do we get that you get pretty much every week? Salar... Salary. Why did they get salary out of saleros? Because how did they pay people in Bible days? Usually with salt. Okay, that was a coin, a form of coinage or bartering or re, or payment, and so it was. It was a very positive thing, and so if we say, okay, how, what was salt used in a positive way, and how does that reflect in our speech? Let's put it out. Salt in Bible days was used to prevent corruption. You would salt the meat, you'd salt the pork or the beef or whatever, and it would preserve it. It was something that was going to stop deterioration, stop corruption, stop bringing harm. Um, when it comes to speech, it means we're going to get rid of that which is corrupting in our speech. We're not going to do the lying, the exaggerating. We're not going to do the tearing down. Salt in Bible days had medicinal value. That you would rub into the wound salt that would irritate, but it would take care of the infection. So salt had a soothing, healing quality, which your speech should have a soothing, healing quality as well. A purifying quality. When you talk about salt, it would make things more palatable. That's our common table salt, is it not? That it makes things taste better. To take in something that might be a little bit not as flavorable, but now you have, you have made it more attractive, more appealing, more palatable is the word I can think of. That's the same as if, okay, in this text, we're giving out truth but we're giving it out with salt so that it is creating a thirst or a desire that makes the truth palatable. As well, the salt creates the thirst where you can draw others. And again, look at the context. It is sharing the word of God with people who may not be believers. That's the context. 
of what he's talking about here. So that what we do with our speech is we need to present truth in such a way that it is palatable. We need to present standards in such a way and holiness in such a way that we make it so that people would see a desire to have that and want that. And so our speech is really critical, especially when we think of the second generation. We think of our children. Do children get turned off from their parents by the parents' speech? Oh, it's so... We hear it so often. Frequently. We hear the comments about, yeah, well, when my, when my dad or my mom aren't around the church people, they don't talk. And it's usually talk that gets brought up more than anything. They don't talk the same way. The words, the attitude, the what is said, the way it is said, or who they talk about. And it's in such contradiction to the truth of the scriptures. That ought not to be that way. He is saying that when we talk and the way we talk and what we talk about, even before our children, should be drawing them that they want the same belief system. They want to worship the same God. That they will accept what we are trying to teach them. So he's telling us to be salty. He's telling us as well to be very cautious. Look what he says. He says that you may know how you ought to answer somebody. To learn how or to know how means you have to have caution here. You have to know. You have to be careful of what you say and when you say it. Not to water down the truth, but to make the truth more palatable. Okay, what, what he's basically telling us is this. Be careful of your speech. Oh, man, we, we can get caught up in any moment so quickly without being careful of what we say in a bragging moment, in a silly moment. There's a guy, who's, he's a chauffeur, for this professor who's going on from place to place to place, and he's giving this lecture. And he's becoming a popular lecturer in this region of the states. And the chauffeur has been chauffeuring him from place to place and listening to the speech several times every day. You know, at a brunch meal and then at a lunch and early supper and supper time. After several days, they become friends because they're traveling around from spot to spot. And the chauffeur says to the professor, I have heard your speech so many times, I bet you I could give it. And the professor said, no, you can't. He says, you, don't, you couldn't say it the way. He says, I've got it memorized, word for word. So in the car, he started repeating it. The professor was one of these joking type of fellows. So they get to the next stop. They switched outfits. And the chauffeur becomes the speaker. He gets up there. He starts giving the speech after he's introduced. And he does it with such flair and such a convincing style that they give him a standing ovation. And they are just, you know, Wow. The MC gets up after everybody has calmed down. He said, listen, we have a few more minutes before the professor has to leave, so let's do something. If any of you have any questions for the professor, we will take a few minutes. You can ask him right now. You don't mind, professor, do you? And the chauffeur's like, ah, no, that's okay. First fellow stands up, and he asks this question about quantum physics. Gives his lengthy question, and the chauffeur is in a panic inside. The man sits down and the chauffeur's thinking, thinking, thinking. What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? How do we get out of this and save face for both of us? Sir, that is one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard. It is so dumb that I bet you my chauffeur could answer it. (laughs) And the chauffeur did. (laughs) Alias the professor. Can we get ourselves in awkward moments even by our speech? Yeah, we can. We can. 
But what he's warning us in this passage is this. God expects us to interact with people. He, he expects us. Okay? He says that when you are speaking to, when you are answering, he wants us to interact with people. We need to give thought of what we're going to say. Now, here's my problem. You don't do this, I'm sure. But my problem in giving thought is while Bob is speaking, I'm thinking what I'm going to say. And sometimes I don't even hear Bob's name. Do you ever do that? You ever get introduced? And I'm thinking of him getting my name and I forget his name. Ten seconds after I've met him. It's like, what is your name again, buddy? And so we're not saying that, that you, you just tune out to the other person. But we're saying, be careful what you say. He's saying you ought to know how you're going to answer, what you're going to answer. I think what he's talking about is that what we need to do is present our belief system in an appropriate fashion, in a wise fashion. Even if we're challenged, your kids ask you. Your kids say to you, Yo, I'm not sure if I believe in God. Don't panic. Don't blast them out of the chair. That's a good question for them. They've got to learn to take God as their own God. They've got to think through their own apologetic system. And so you lead them, you don't blast them. And so you answer their questions in an appropriate fashion. We're to speak to all people, because he says in the passage, how you ought to answer every man, every individual. I guess what what surprises me is Paul is saying this while he's in prison. He's dealing with guards. He's dealing with nobility. He's dealing with high-ranking officials. He's dealing with people who bring water. Or they carry out the commode from the prison. He's dealing with all levels. And he is going to say, we need to treat all people respectfully in our speech. In fact, read verses 7 through 17. Look at the next few verses. Take it and read it on your own time, I guess. Because, but you will see what he does as he talks about people. He relates to people. He speaks about people in a very appropriate, commendable fashion. And he's encouraging it by example. I guess if I want to put it in a practical sense, we need to be sociable. That's what he's encouraging here is sociability, not shyness. We need to as well speak to all, all people, including the lost. You know how when we were little, we didn't want to talk to the girls because the girls had what? They had cootie bugs. Okay? So you stay away from them. Listen, lost people don't have cootie bugs. Okay. They aren't going to condemn you. They need the gospel. You need to develop relationships. You need to communicate with them. As well, realize that God says we're supposed to examine our speech. Be careful how you answer. Don't just assume the way you've always done it is the right way. Examine it. Prove whether it be acceptable unto the Lord. Keep on growing by looking to say, is this the best way that I can be doing this? Think before you speak. Oh my, that's an amen, amen, amen. And then as well, don't look down on some people. Be willing to engage all levels of all classes, of all races, of all backgrounds, of all, I was going to say of all genders. That's not the way to say it anymore. Um, of both genders. Okay. To, to be of, of all levels of society. Be willing to be gracious to all okay, in your speech pattern. Let me, let me bring this back to one other thought here. Work at being consistent. Always. Always being consistent. Now, the reason that he gives here, he's given requirements. The reasons are very simple. Now, he doesn't say it here, but the reason, number one, is this. We do a lot of speaking. This is a big area of our life. Do you realize that 20% of our time is given to speaking? And do you realize, I don't mean this in a bad way, it's easier physically for ladies to speak than for men. 
because of the length of the vocal cords, the passing of the air, all those things. And so we all give to ourselves. If we, on average, we speak, it could fill a 50-page book. That means that in a year, you could write a lot of books if they were recording everything you said, both good or bad. So we've got to be careful because the amount of time and energy we give to this. But in this text, there's two reasons why. One is your broad context of the book. In your book, if you look at the overall picture of the entire book, you have this. He says in verse, one of chapter ten, uh, verse 10 of chapter 1, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. That is, honor Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. He says in chapter 23 of the same chapter, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. We are glorifying God in our speech, or we're not. Now, in the immediate context, that is the paragraph itself, not the broad book, the paragraph itself, as we already read in verses 3, 4, and 5, it is this. This is the story. This is the paragraph. It is you being a witness to other people. You drawing others to Jesus Christ. Your speech brings others to Christ or it pushes them away. It's that simple. Your children, your co-workers, your, your relatives who are not born again. They are drawn to Christ by your speech or they are put off by it. So you and I need to be very careful that in our speech we are drawing people and we are beautifying the word of God. That we are bringing it to a spot that it is helpful. When we were in Portugal, we ran into a situation that, that um, just really, really convicted my heart. Being careful what I say. There was a family that was involved in Newton's ministry a few years back, they came, and as they were in Castello Branco, they visited, they were inquiring about the gospel, they met with the Newtons at their house several times, the husband did. And the husband would have conversation with them, and was seeking, wanting to learn. And, and said that he was a Christian, they weren't sure by some of the answers, it got really close. And all of a sudden, after several visits, probably like eight or ten visits together and visiting the church service when they were just trying to get this thing going and it wasn't many people, all of a sudden, this guy disappeared. They tried to make contact with him and he just kind of was, no more contact. They tried to reach out. Every time they did see him in the city or different areas, it was very short, very, very distant. Here a few months back, the man made contact and said, would it be okay if I came to visit your church service? Well, yeah, we'd love to have you. He brought his wife, he brought his children, he has three children. Uh, one's college, one's married, and one's in the state. So he brought his two other ones, one in college and one in high school. And they came, and they've been coming now the last three months or so. They've been coming to the church service very regularly. And just sweet, 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 sweet people. Love the Lord, want to get going. And one of the conversations that was held just in the conversations that we had with these people, Deb got an extended time talking with the wife, and um, we had different opportunities. In the conversation that came out just recently, his question was, I need to talk to you, Pastor Newton. I need to talk to you and tell you what happened a few years ago, why we didn't come, and I need to ask you to forgive me. Why do, why do I need to forgive you? Because I listened to things that were untrue. Somebody in your church, who is a friend of mine, when we visited, they told us that we should be aware of you. They were visiting, and one of the members 
told the visitors to beware of the pastor. You need to be aware of the, of the pastor. He's big. <laughs> He's big. Alan's big. Okay. But he just, you know, he doesn't have any tolerance for different points of views. Like doctrine. He's, you know, he speaks too bluntly. He doesn't love people the way he should love. He's a dictator in the church. You ever hear these things stated? Yeah. And so he said, I heard those things and my friends told me, if I were you, I wouldn't come to this church. And so he took the warning from his friends. And for three, four years, they had no church. There's nothing else there. They checked the Pentecostal church out. They checked the different groups. They couldn't find anything. And then he asked the, his friends after just recently, he said, where are you going to church? And they said, we're, we're going to this church. Wait a minute, you told me I shouldn't come here. Yeah, but we're, we're there because we're there. So he came back. Now he wants Alan to forgive him because he believed something without coming and talking to Alan. He says, I need you to forgive me because I assumed these things were true. And I believe this about you and I never gave you a chance because I heard the rumors. He said, but I also am going back to my friends and I want them to know that they hurt me spiritually. They kept me. It's my fault. But they kept me from the word of God by what they said. Man, a days, what we say can impact baby Christians tremendously. We need to be careful what we say to our kids, to one another. We've got to be ever so careful. And by the way, when I said that, I said, we, that means how many of us, all of us, me too, we got to be careful.